Prepare to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spiegel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here is the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of the Academy of Internet Marketing, and the host with the most, Andy Spiegel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spiegel, and today I believe you are that you are in for a great show, and that's because I am joined by a very special guest. This guest was dubbed the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. He is the best-selling author of the book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He is the host of the Art of Making Things Happen podcast, and he is a sought-after coach and speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard twice. A big welcome to Steve Sims. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. Thanks for the intro. I'll try and live up to it. Okay, great. You know, speaking of that, the real life Wizard of Oz, that's, that's got to be one of the most fascinating titles I've ever heard. Do you ever drop that title when you introduce yourself? Do you know it's a weird one? It gets a lot of attention. Um, and it certainly is a great moniker for people to go, wow, the real life Wizard of Oz. But it's, it's also a double-edged sword because bearing in mind the real life Wiz the Wizard of Oz was a fake. And it's kind of weird because he was this creepy old guy that literally sat behind a curtain and never actually <laughs> did anything. So when Forbes came out with it, everyone was like, wow, that's brilliant. And I was impressed for about three seconds before I was like, well, hang on a minute. That guy never actually did anything. So you've got to be careful. You've got to reword it and you've got to, uh, you've got to call it out as much as you can. It's a nice little title, but you've got to let people know that he didn't do stuff. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I never thought of it that way. So, hey, you know, I, uh, my ears don't see me. I hear just a bit of an accent. Uh, well, where, are you, where are you from? American. It's just a British mic. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm an East London boy. Okay, great. Now your book, the, uh, blue fishing, the art of making things happen. I've actually, I've read it twice. And for those that have not read, read this book, it's a great blend of stories and lessons. And before we get too far into the interview, can you tell us about your book in your own words? Uh, yeah. Um, I was, very fortunate to know some very powerful people. And I always say you are the combination of the room you're in. Um, I ended up speaking with one of the heads of one of the largest publishing companies in the planet at a, at a party. And a week later, they decided to do a book on me. The, the reason I say that is because a lot of people out there that are trying to write books will hate mm -hmm. that story because they have to work so hard to get a deal. To be blunt, I didn't. And so I was very fortunate there. But it gave me... Um, it removed all the liability I had and all the stress. And I was able to write the book that I wanted to write. I wanted to call out all the fake gurus. I wanted to have people stop spending 
a fortune on a CRM program and start spending their energy on their client relationships. And I wanted to really expose the fact that if a bricklayer from East London can be working with Sorrell and John, Elon Musk and the Pope, then you don't have any excuses. Um, and that was the whole thought process behind the book. And I seriously had no thought. When I say I had no thought it would be as successful as it is, we didn't even have a website. The book came out. There was no website for you to go and get it. It was only available on Amazon. Um, I think it was available in Barnes & Noble for a while. But, you know, we, we didn't put any major push. I didn't do a promo. I didn't go out um, marketing the book. I didn't do any of that. It was a case of, hey, if this resonates for you, great. And for the first couple of months, it sucked. <laughs> um, and we were told by the publishers who had paid me very well, you got to put a website together. you got to put a page and we did just that. We did a page. And here's something that will make you smile. And I don't know if you've seen it, but have you seen our, and I'm using air quotes here, have you seen our book launch party video? No, I've heard about it. I, I haven't seen the video. All right. So um, this sounds like a shallow plug, but you know, we've already mentioned the book, so we're not plugging anything else. Um, if you visit stevedsims.com, and there's only one M in Sims, stevedsims.com, uh, you'll actually see a video on like the second panel down there. When we launched the book, the publishers actually sent me a check for two and a half grand. And they said, buy some champagne. You're going to be down at Barnes and Noble signing books. And I said, the hell I am, you know? <laughs> so what I did was I signed over the check to a regular cocktail bar that I go to. And I said, look, when it runs out, turn the lights on and kick us out. I'm going to invite some friends down. Are you okay with that? And they were like, yeah, well, you know, you know we, we, we knew each other. I was a regular alcoholic in there. And so then what I did was come the night, the uh, Simon Schuster sent me uh, a box of books. So we literally stuck them on the edge of the bar just so that we could call this our launch party. We didn't have any press. We didn't have any news reports. We had nothing. And I just contacted a bunch of my friends and said, hey, come down and get drunk with me. Um, and they did. So I had like, you know, Caleb Maddox, who wasn't drinking at the time. He was a young lad. Uh, Greg Reed, uh, Lewis Howes were invited, Jim Quick, Cole Hatter. You know, a whole bunch of people uh, turned up. So, you know, some pretty, you know, impactful people. But they turned up and we just got drunk. And there was a very evil little vixen in there called Sonia Hatter who actually videoed this <laughs> and went around She'd set me up. She actually had this tiny little GoPro thing. It wasn't a GoPro, but that kind of size, but high quality camera. And these guys are very good at doing videos. They interviewed people. So if you watch the video, at the beginning of it, everyone's like, it's such an honor to be here. And everyone's polite and sober. And then as the night goes on, everyone's just trashed. And that's swearing at me. So if you're scared of the F-bomb, don't watch the video. But when Simon Schuster told us to put a video up, uh, sorry, a web page up, we thought, screw it, we're going to put the video up. And Sonia had sent me that video, and I thought it was really cool. We put this video up, and everything took off. So, you know, be careful what you put out in the world. It may, it may just be successful, and that's, uh, that's scary. So tell me, is, is Jim Quick a partier? Is he, is he oh, a party? I thought he said a part <laughs> of. Um, Jim, Jim's great. I love Jim. He's a, he's a dysfunctional creative disruptor. Um, I've known Jim and I'm proud to call him a friend. God, 15 years. Um, 
And now he's got his book out. So now he's kind of like going crazy and everyone's following him as they should. But um, Jim Quick's just a cool guy, just a cool, real dude to hang out with. Cool. And your book, um, for those that haven't read it, it's it's really about your story going from a bricklayer to a, to a bar bouncer to a concierge to billionaires. Uh, is is that how you, and just a lot of stories in between, is, is that how you would summarize it? Yeah, um, stories, validity, and proof that, you know, you don't need to be a genius. Um, a friend of mine, um, again, I've been very fortunate to have some phenomenal friends. And we can talk about how I get those friends in a second, if you like. But uh, one of them was, uh, well, not was, he's still alive. One of them is Jay Abraham, who um, beautifully told me one day that I had a far greater I can than I do an IQ. And that's the way my life has always been. Now, out of the book, one of the lines that, that I really liked that resonated with me was when you said that no, no one ever drowned from falling into the water. They drowned from staying there. Yep, my dad. My dad was the one that said that, not me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a great line. Now, how did you use that as you go through life and, and the stories in the book? Um, it's, life, life is this, this massive monster that comes at us from all different angles. And so sometimes when life is treating us well, we don't have the chance to reflect and look. And then when something goes wrong, we can sometimes wrap ourselves up in a pity party or start moaning that the world's coming to an end or my life or my business. So that statement, that single quote from my dad has often caught me in the midst of crying into me old fashioned that, hey, I can get up. And the beautiful thing about entrepreneurs well, the beautiful and the sadistic thing about entrepreneurs is we've picked a really crazy life. We've leapt out of the frying pan into the volcano and we are laughed at, jeered, mocked, ripped off, sued. Uh, we get money, we go broke. We get money, we go broke. Then we go broker. Um, you know, it's a, it's a helter-skelter of a journey, but it's the world of an entrepreneur, not a entrepreneur. A entrepreneur is the one that runs away the first time they get a hater on a, on a social tweet. Um, but the entrepreneur is the one that keeps going. I just noticed that the more I do and the more I file and the more times I get up, the more empowered I am. So every time I fall over because I lost money, I go, well, okay, I lost money, but let's think about it. To lose money, you have to have made money. So don't focus on, on how you lost it. Focus on how you made it and then focus on what happened for you to lose it. Now, it may be COVID, it may be a recession, it may be a lawsuit, it may be whatever, but focus on what went wrong and then you'll shore yourself up. But it's a classic elastic band. When you keep stretching that elastic band into the territory of being uncomfortable, it never attracts to its original uh, shape. You become empowered. And that's where that sentence has kind of helped me get empowered so many times. Yeah, I like that. Another thing I've heard is kind of similar that you never really lose money. You just bought the experience so you know better next time. <laughs> hey, um, yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what it is. It's the education. I've always, I left school at the age of 15 and I would say that I am an incredibly educated human being now, but I will also shout out that school had nothing to do with it. My PhD and MBA came from losing money, failing fuck ups and all the rest of it. Now, Blue Fishing, the name of your book, how 
can you tell the listeners how, how you came up with that name? Yeah, so I never went out to launch one of the world's leading experiential concierge firms. I never intended to do that. And just to give you some context, I've sent people down to the Titanic. I've had them walk Oscar parties with Sir John. I've had them doing drum lessons with Guns N' Roses. Guitar lessons with ZZ Top. I've had them close down museums in Florence for a private dinner party at the feet of Michelangelo's David. And then Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade them during their meatballs. So I'm basically the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really, really big checkbooks. <laughs> I never went out of my way to build that firm. My focus was how can I be in a room with people richer than me? How can I be in a room with people that are more powerful and influential and turn around and go, hey, how come you're rich and powerful and successful and I'm not? That was the whole reason I did anything. I just happened to use the concierge world as the platform to do it. And so I literally just went out to try and find a way of doing it. And one of the early stages, as the doorman, I knew where all the bars were. I knew where all the best clubs were because this was the 90s. and We didn't have Yelp and Google at the time. Um, so I just used to advise them. And then I started throwing my own parties. And here was the key. I only, excuse me, I only invited rich people. I was always stunned why people, even today, They'll market that product on serve or service to people that can't afford them. Hmm. How many times do you see people, they, and I was talking to a client a while ago and slapping him around for it. I do coaching on this. And the client was like, well, I've got this product. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down into like, you know, 18 easy payments. And I'm like, hang on a minute. <laughs> you built a product of severe value, something that's going to impact people. And then the first thing you're going to do is aim to sell it at people that really can't afford to action it. So instead of trying to focus like two weeks on building up a payment schedule and like, you know, discount uh, repayment plan, why don't you just go and find clients that don't have to worry about it? They see the value and they just run the credit card. So I always get people to focus on clients that can afford them. That's what I did. I would throw parties. And one of the things that I would do was to help people at the beginning. I would say, hey, the party is $1,000 but all your drink and food is included. Now, two things happened there. I didn't need a liquor license if I'm giving the food and drink away. Mm. So I didn't need the license. So it was a way of me getting away from that. And also, nobody drinks $1,000 worth of drink and uh, food. They just don't. So, and, but also what it does is it gets rid of the people that can't afford it. So all of a sudden, you've got people in there that didn't care about paying $1,000 for a night. And bluefishing, funny enough, the word bluefish was one of the passwords that we used to use to get people to come into the parties. Now, how did you go from the bouncer to being the experienced connoisseurs? What, what was the first experience you put together for someone? Well, most of the time people would say, hey, I really like the way you do parties. Do you know anyone in Monaco? Do you know anyone in LA? Do you know anyone in New York? And, you know, rich people float around the planet. So if you meet someone who's really affluent in Paris, nine times out of 10, they're going to know people in other countries. Okay, because rich people travel. So I had, I had a Rolodex of that to start with. But I think the first thing was actually a handbag. And someone said, to me, oh, can you get me a Birkin handbag? Now, bearing in mind, you know, if anyone's ever seen me, I'm a big, thick Irish lad that rides around on motorcycles with eyebrow piercings and stuff. I didn't know what a freaking handbag was. You know, I didn't know what this Birkin handbag was. 
And then I discovered that you had to be invited by Hermes to actually be able to buy it. So I always thought to myself, it's got to be an angle. You know, I've always believed there's, there's two ways to get in a house, the front door and the back door, and then there's windows and then there's a chimney, but there's multiple ways to get into a house. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be multiple ways of getting this done. So I just started inquisitively trying to find out how I could shortcut it. And I found out I could. Hmm. And then I found out by doing that, that eight grand handbags were now going for $30,000. The markup was ridiculous. And then people started to ask me, well, do you know celebrities? And funny enough, by that time, celebrities were starting to become my clients. And celebrities, nine times out of 10, use and know celebrities. So I just found that my Rolodex was growing. And as people asked me to do things, I was now having a far wider reach to be able to achieve them. Now, did you ever advertise your service or was it just always word of mouth once, once the ball got rolling? So let's, uh, let's refine that. I think we all need to advertise our service, okay? But did I do paid advertising? No, I did not. I did a lot of leak and I did a lot of word of mouth. Like I would always have connected people leak about you know the fact that Bluefish was involved in this event or Steve Sims was doing this. I would always have people leak it and therefore it'd be a bit more of a discoverable thing how many times do you see on the uh, the tv you know this private party you know and it was it's only available to the rich and famous and you hear it on the tv well let's be blunt if it was only available to them and it was that private they wouldn't tell anybody about it but have you yeah. ever noticed that those private parties talk about that guest list because they want to keep the euphoria up so the guest list the following year will be just as challenging and, and exciting so I never did paid advertising, um, but I always did word of mouth. I was very focused on the platform. And it's it's even true today. What platform is going to get your message out there? So if you're running, for argument's sake, a software business, having an article written for you in a, in a publication, which bearing in mind, publications only come out like three or four times a year now. But say, for argument's sake, you have some great software do you really want an article written about you in penthouse? You know, what's the point in that? But at the same extent, do you really want that article written about you in a nautical magazine? So people go after media, yet they don't refine it. You should focus on what is the best platform for you. It may be no media, but it may be sponsorships. It may be not sponsorships. It may be podcasts. It may be throwing your own events. There's many ways to advertise uh, outside of paying for a page in a magazine that no one reads. Yeah, no, that's great. You know, another chapter out of your book um, that really made a uh, impression on me that I really liked was when you were talking about asking why three times. Now, do you, do you have a story about that a bit um, that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. Um, yeah. The bottom line of it is I've always said never give a client what they ask for. We're in a transactional society. So we're being raised with the habit, whether or not you realize it or not, that we are now commanding and receiving transactions. And some of the most popular companies out there, Siri, Alexa, um, uh, DoorDash, um, Amazon, these, these people react to your request. DoorDash doesn't phone you up at night and go, hey, what do you fancy to eat tonight? Amazon doesn't go, hey, I saw you put the toilet rolls in there. Don't you know these ones over here are cheaper? They don't do any of those things. 
They don't have conversations. They react to your question. If you order something stupid on Amazon, you ordered it. They've got no liability. Now, you may be able to return it, but you're the idiot that ordered it. Okay. So when I focused on the fact that I want to make sure that I can't be replaced by Amazon. And as a friend of mine, Dave Savage says, you've got to do everything Amazon does and everything they don't. And as entrepreneurs, what they, what they don't do is create, dream, uh, and, and basically disrupt. That's what you've got to do as an entrepreneur. So when someone asks me something like, hey, I want to play with this, or I'd like to meet this celebrity, or I'd like to go on holiday, the first question I do is I go, oh, that sounds absolutely brilliant. Why? Now, the funny thing is why is the most offensive word in the planet. If someone says to you, hey, I'd love to get a coffee with you next week, if you look at them and go, why? <laughs> it will knock them on that. They'll be looking at you going, well, you're a prick. And I've had people, I've literally had people hang up on me and stop calling me or um, actually res respond to my message going, well, that's rude. You're arrogant. I thought you were cool. I just want to understand the context of the meeting. And I want to understand the core. And I'll give you a story, if I may, that hopefully will set this up perfectly. Okay. Do you mind? No, no, please. So I was in Palm Beach, and I get a phone call. Uh, one of my team had got this phone call from someone who wanted to meet Sir Elton John, and I was working with him on his uh, Oscar party in Hollywood. So I took the phone call, and I said, hey, how you doing? And they said, hey, you know, I forget what his name was. And he said, um, yeah, I want, to, I want to go to the Oscar party. I want to get a photograph with Sir Elton John. So I said, oh, you know, that sounds fantastic. That sounds great. Why? And the guy turns around and says, well, you know, he's a living legend. He's an icon. He's known as Elton. You know, he's one of the last living greats. He's going to die soon, and I want to get a photograph with him. And that was it. That was the entirety of the depth of the request. It was all superficial. And it was discovered by me asking him why rather than selling him the opportunity to do it. So I said to him, hey, let me see what I can do and I'll come back to you. I didn't even keep the guy's phone number. I can't even remember his name. About a month later, we're now a month away from the Elton John party. And a month later or a month earlier, we get another phone call that come into my team. And this girl contacts me. She says, hey, do you remember last month that idiot that phoned up and wanted to get a photograph with Sir Elton because he's going to die soon? And I went, yeah. She said, well, we've got someone on the phone. I think it's either his mate or maybe even him again. She said, but can you take it? And I went, yeah, 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 put it through. So it was a different voice. And I said, hey, how you doing? This is Steve Sims. I believe you want to get a photograph uh, with Sir Elton John. And he's like, yeah, 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 I do. And he's all you know, confident and brave. And I said to him, oh, that sounds fantastic. Why? And he says, well, um, Elton's known as Elton, he's a living legend, and basically went through the same stuff as the other guy had said. And he said, well, you know, he's, I don't know how long he's going to be around. He's brilliant. You know, I want to get a photograph with him. I, you know, I want to talk to him for a couple of minutes. And, you know, there's, mm, there's things. And it was that last thing. As the energy dropped off and he started to get a bit more vulnerable, and he said, and there's things. And I said to him just quietly, I said, what things? And he went quiet. And he turned around, totally different tone of voice. And he said, when I used to go to school, my dad would drive me. It was our thing. Never my mum. My mum would see me off at the door, 
but my dad would take me to school and he would be there to pick me up from school. Every single school day of my life, my dad took me there. My dad brought me home all the way up in high school until the day I got a car and I drove myself. Now the first car we had had a cassette in it and it was stuck. It couldn't come out, but it could play. And it was Elton John's hits. And as a young kid, we would drive to school singing Elton John. And then as he would pick me up, we'd click play and would sing Elton John all the way back home. And this happened. And then my dad got a new car and it had a CD player in it. My dad went out and bought Elton John's greatest hits and we did the exact same thing. On the way to school, sang Elton John. On the way back, singing Elton John. I could hear Elton John playing as I would walk towards the car to get in it to go home. And even when I was a teenager, this would bother the crap out of me. And I'd be looking out the window, pretending that my dad was so embarrassing and I stopped doing it. And all he would be doing is singing his lungs out to Sir Elton John. He said, now, my dad died 25 years ago. He said, now, when I'm driving down the road with my family on the way to a business trip, coming home from work, and Elton comes on the radio, for those three minutes, my dad is sat in the passenger seat singing his lungs out. And I want to thank Elton John for bringing my dad back to life for random three minutes each week. Now that's a why. That's a core. I can work with that. So I always say, no matter what someone asks you, don't take it. Say to them, that sounds great. That sounds brilliant. Why is it important to you? Why now? Why have you chosen this time to come forward to make this happen? Why do you want this house? Why do you want that yellow car? And get to the why. Wow, that why gave me chills. Yeah, it's a pretty good story. I, I, that one's still, I'm talking that's like 15 years old, that thing, that story. And even when, I can still remember the guy. And even when I, when I introduced him to Elton and they, they spoke to each other and he told him the story and everyone had tears. Because we were in the party, I couldn't even hear what he was saying to Elton. Elton started tearing up. I started tearing up. Everyone else that was around us that knew why they were meeting started tearing up. It was a, it was a hell of a moment. Wow. So the name of this episode, I named it, Let's go blue fishing with Steve Sims and using blue fishing as a verb. And I did it because I've heard you describe a couple of times how your movement has become an action. Can, can you go into a bit of that for the listeners? Yeah, so being a doorman, you've got, you've got one goal, and that is basically to kick people out when they start getting a bit leery. Okay, that's the only thing a doorman is, was used to be paid for. And, I, you know, I'm a big lad, but I don't want to have a fight. You know, I'm 54 now, so I definitely don't want to. But even then, I didn't really want to have to go and swing and dancing with anyone. So I used to focus on the front door. And I always had this belief, which I still carry with me now into my consulting world. Protect your front door as though it means everything because it does. If you can be careful who comes through the front door, you will remove 99% of the problems inside so if a guy's got a couple of beers in him and he's starting to get a bit lippy tell him to come back the following night if the girls are a bit mouthy and bitchy tell them to come back the following night try to reduce the problems coming through the front door and you reduce 99 percent of the problems inside so i had this uh, these passwords because no one creates trouble when they're smiling 
So once you'd paid your money for the party, I would send you a password. And the password be, would be, finish this sentence, one fish, two fish, red fish. The answer being blue fish. Another one of the things I used to say was, the password is the name of the lion from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. So people would come up to my party and they would lean in and they would go, Aslan. <laughs> and we'd let them in. Now, the funny thing is, just like you, they would walk into the party smiling. And I had my team tell me they used to love the fact that everyone walking through the front door of one of our parties was smiling. And smiling is contagious. And so, no, we never had a single piece of problem with having that. We would get people come to the front door and they'd be like, hey, I'm here for the party. And the whole party's going nuts behind me and my, my fellow meathead. There's a big line of people getting in. And I would look at these people and I'd be like, I'm sorry, Matt. I think you got it confused. I don't think there's a party here tonight. And they'd be like, I'm going to that party. No, I don't think you are. <laughs> and, and we would just blank them. And the funny thing is, everyone in the lineup behind him loved the fact that we kept that standard that if you couldn't quite... Now, here's the funny thing. We're, we're talking about the early 90s. You didn't have your iPhone to give you the answers you want. When I asked the one about Aslan, we had to stop using that password because people couldn't remember what the bloody lion was called. So people would literally come up to us and they'd be like, oh, the lion, I, I don't know. Um, is, it, is it raw or is it Barry? And you know, we'd be like, no, it's not. But because they had tried, we would still let them in. And we would have people like the head of a bank outside giggling because you couldn't remember what the bloody lion's name was. Or you could hear people in the line going, hey, did you find out what the lion was? What's the name of the bloody lion? And you would get certain people that would lie to the person behind them going, yes, certainly, mate, it's Cedric. And so then they would come to us and they'd be like, it's Cedric. And we'd be like, no. And they'd be like, that bastard in front, he told me. And because everyone was smiling and happy, we let it go. Now, we didn't expect Bluefish to be the thing that they picked up on. But because we used that password so many times, we became known as that Bluefish company. And then people used to come up to us and it became a, a movement. And people would say, hey, I had a party the other night and I could have run a, just an ordinary party, but no, I Bluefished the hell out of it. <laughs> because we constantly would give surprises and we would always give people more than what they expected. Again, Never give anyone what they ask for, give them what they dream, desire, and lust for. So we would always go above and beyond. So this whole mentality of bluefish in something caught us very unaware. And people would be like, oh, I went to a concert and I bluefished my way backstage. And here's a picture of me with Taylor Swift. And so we realized that we now had an adjective on our, on our hands. And we had created a monster that we didn't own anymore. We just fed and released it into the world and it was going for gold. That's great. Now, you know, most of my listeners on this podcast are business owners. And one of the business e-commerce owners that are always concerned, you know, they want to increase their conversion rates and they do this. Do I change an add to cart button? Do I change the website? But I've heard you say many times that it's more important to solve a problem than just sell a product. Can you, can you expand on that thought? Yeah, the bottom line of it is that today we, we've gone past the selling process. We don't sell anything anymore, okay? People don't want to be sold. They want to be solved. So, you know, you're out there thinking, should I put a click button here? Should I, should I put, make this button yellow? For a start, ask everyone that's already paid you. 
You know, if you've got clients, there's no better resource for marketing than actually caring about what they think. Go to the people that are purchased off you and go, hey, we're looking to do a revamp and we're looking to change that button to yellow. Or what was it that created um, you to purchase this product? Better still, what has it solved? How has this helped you? And would you mind if I actually told other people about it? I'll give you six months um, extra credit on it, you know, but I don't Mm -hmm. want to buy the testimonial, but would you mind being the testimonial? So do it that way, but go out there. And the thing is, expose the problem you had. Now I had, um, as I say, I do coaching. um, And I had a client of mine that runs a massive, great plumbing industry and, uh, or plumbing company, sorry. And COVID hit. Now, we were literally in the middle of him rebranding his message and his marketing and his website. We were going through all of that. And he was like, oh, I can't go into people's houses now. And and he's a big, thick brick of a lad. So I said to him, I said, all right, we're going to play on the asset you've got. You're ugly. And he was like, what? I said, yeah, we're gonna, you're rough around the edges. You know, you're a strong man who comes in to basically clean people's toilets because they're backed up. So for many different reasons, people don't want to call you. It's like people don't want to see a doctor because they only see a doctor when they're not well. They don't want to see their accountant because they only have to see their accountant when they have to pay their taxes. You only order a plumber when when your toilet's bunged up with crap. So we started doing a series of videos going, hey, I want to show you how you can make sure you don't see me on your doorstep. And we start, he started to do these tips on how to look after your own plumbing. During COVID, how can you make sure I don't turn up at your house? How can you make sure you don't see me? And it was a bit jokey, but he would reveal educational marketing. He became the solution. Now, here's the dumb thing. You can tell people how to do things, but people are lazy. Once you've created that aura that you are the authority and you are credible and you've already given the answers, they're going to hire you to do it. You know, I've literally gone out there and I've done courses where I've gone, hey, I'm going to spend the next hour free of charge telling you how you can get media. I'm going to spend the next hour telling you how you can get paid speaking gigs on stage. I'm going to tell you how you can rebrand to the millionaires and billionaires. And every single time I do that, they go, oh, I really enjoyed that. How can I hire you to do it for me? <laughs> and so don't think you're doing yourself out of business, but for anyone out there that's looking at their, their online business, take it offline quickly and start speaking to the clients. And I don't mean turn the website. What I mean is take your focus off of online. Phone your clients. Phone them. It'll surprise the shit out of them. But phone them or text them with a video message and let them know that you're actually trying to find a way of becoming better. I've actually phoned up clients that have spent millions of dollars with me and I've gone, hey, what did I do wrong? And they're like, uh, nothing. You see, here's the thing. Let me ask you this, all right? Uh, Hopefully you're ready for this. If I said to you, uh, if I invite you over for dinner uh, on Saturday, Andy, and then I phone you up on Sunday, and I say to you, Andy, Andy, how was the meal last night? What uh, are you it was great. <laughs> yeah. Your natural response will be not to upset me or my wife, and you're going to say it's great, okay? We were serving veal, and you're a vegetarian. But you're going to tell me it was great because you don't want to upset me, okay? But if I find you up and said, Andy, thanks a lot for coming over to the party last night. Hey, I've got a question for you. 
what could I have done to have made that party better? Now, something different clicks in your brain, and now you're having to think, okay? And two things are going to happen. A, you're going to tell me what I could have done better, and therefore I've got brilliant feedback. Or you're going to say, are you kidding? It was, it was great. It was, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. Now, on the first one, you go, thank you very much. I'm going to use that feedback to become better. I appreciate you, and we'll speak again in the future. Okay? Clients like to be uh, asked their opinions. Not a survey. They like to be asked their opinions. And the second thing is, if the client turns around and goes, are you kidding? You were brilliant. You turn around and you say, that is fantastic. Thank you very much, Andy. What 10 of your friends do you think should know that? And then you start working the referral market. Now, you said at the earlier stage, do I advertise? No, but I do focus my energy on advertising. And I would contact clients and I would ask them, what did I do wrong? And when they say nothing, it was brilliant. Great. What 10 clients could you introduce me to that should know that? And I would get clients out of it. And, I, and Bluefish was a referral-based company. Even now, my consulting, um, it's all referral-based. So we don't do any advertising for my, my consulting at all. So you, there's nothing better than speaking to someone that's actually spent money with you and ain't going, hey, introduce me to someone else that should know what I've done with you. And that's great form of credibility. Well, that's, a, that's great advice. You know, I had another question. It's kind of fun. If you were going to go to you to fill your exotic experience event, what, what would you ask for, Steve? Can you, be, can you repeat or rephrase that question? Well, if, yeah, sure. If you were going to go to somebody like you who, who worked on making all these crazy dreams come true and you had one that, that you wanted somebody to fulfill for you, what, what would you tell them you wanted? Okay, okay. Um, sadly, this is not going to be the answer you want. I wouldn't. You see, the weird thing is, I am the dullest man you'll ever meet. I barbecue, I ride around on motorcycles, I don't go out much, um, never go out at the weekend unless it's with my family. You know, I live up here in the hills in Los Angeles and no one's around me. I don't do anything. I live vicariously through my clients. And the kind of things that I've been able to get up to and, and being 54 years old and being able to you know, tell you so many boring stories that could you know, throw you into a coma of the stuff I've got up to over the last you know, X amount of years, I just have no yearning to do anything other than push the people that are around me. So my dream, and it sounds corny, but you asked a question, my dream is to get other entrepreneurs to stop settling and start working their businesses effectively, start going after clients that can afford them, not that they can relate to, because everyone knows how to relate to a poor person because we've all been poor, but not everyone knows how to relate to a rich person. And there's a different tonality that's needed there. So my goal would be to go to, to, to me and go, hey, what do I need to do to get more entrepreneurs out of the way of themselves and create an impact? Because when I, give a, when I close down a museum for a billionaire, hey, it gives them a great story at their next cocktail party. But when I coach a client and they now suddenly start making money and they are working less, and they are more impactful, the family benefits, the staff benefit, the kids benefit, they benefit, much more impactful on a much wider reach. Yeah, no, I love that answer. 
Now, if somebody wanted to connect with you further, whether it be a speaker or a coach or, or a consult or, you know, if they're a billionaire listening, they want to have their dreams come true, how, how would they go about contacting you? Well, if you want something for free, I have a group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. That's my private Facebook group. Um, or one of them. And you know, you can jump in there. We do a lot of lives in there that would help people. But if you want to contact me for any reason, you can go through all of the social feeds, you know, like Instagram, Facebook at Steve D Sims, or even just jump on the stevedsims.com website and fire me a message there from the contact section. Great. You know, and again, I've, I've really enjoyed this interview. In 2020, I made a um, New Year's resolution to read three books a month for the year. And I've been keeping pretty strong on that. COVID's actually made it a little bit easier. But your book has been in the top three, I would say, <laughs> as far as inspirational this year. And, you know, that's out of, what are we, 10? We're 10 months in, so 30, 35 books. So I, I really enjoyed your book. And, and I really appreciate you having you on. This has been great. Well, thank you very much for having me. And so remember... If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Steve and his blue fishing movement or his speakeasy events he didn't even mention or his inner circle, check out Steve's Facebook group. It's an Entrepreneur's Advantage Facebook group, or you can go to stevedsims.com. So that's it for today. Remember to stay safe, keep healthy, and happy marketing, and I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to do it faster are members of the Academy of Internet Marketing. Join our private Facebook group, Make Each Click Count, or send us an email to info at trueonlinepresence.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing. 